0: This afternoon, we come again to the fifth and final group in the church where Paul applies sound doctrine. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour in all things. (coughs) The primary meaning of servant here is slave. This is uh, a word that's controversial and misunderstood. And therefore, last week, we took time to look at slavery according to the Bible. And I hope that the overview of slavery was beneficial to everyone. It's important because one of the main objections to the Bible for many people today is slavery. So they look at the conditions and narrative of race-based chattel slavery. They look at the Bible where it says slave impute all kinds of meaning into the texts and say God is immoral, the Bible is immoral because it cannot distinguish between scripture and Western modern forms of slavery. So when Christians have a biblical understanding, when we have a nuanced understanding and we can distinguish one thing from another, then we are ready always to give an answer For the hope that is within us. So that we can intelligently defend the Bible and be faithful witnesses to people around us. But today we will come to the actual teaching of Paul regarding slavery in verses 9 to 10. And I want to consider these verses under two headings. One Christian servants, and two, Christian service. First of all then, Christian servants. As already noted, the word servant here primarily means slave. However, a legitimate secondary application is the Christian Worker. This is a legitimate secondary application because Paul's emphasis here is not slavery but the service of the slave. The emphasis here is the slave serves in Christian conduct. With a godly attitude. And therefore the teaching and principles therein apply also to Christian workers. And so we will expound verses 9 to 10 under that theme. Now before we come to the particulars, I want to look generally, at Christian servant or Christian work. And we need to know three things about work and labour. Nature, grace, adornment. First of all, nature. God created man to work. Our natural calling is to serve, to labour, to work. We speak of creation ordinances. A creation ordinance is something that God has created or given for mankind from the beginning, before the fall, and is for all men at all times. And so some creation ordinances are Sabbath, procreation, marriage. These are all things given to man by nature. And another creation ordinance is work. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. When God created Adam in the garden... He says, Not here's a paradise, just give yourself to pleasure and rest. What he does say is this The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. That word dress is our Hebrew word from last week, ebed, to serve, to work to labor. So there's a paradise, but even the paradise needed work. He had to till and cut and prune and build and labor to keep the garden in good order. And ever since Adam it has been man's natural call to thus work, labour and serve. All around the world, in every culture, in every people, there is some form of work and labour to get food, to trade, clothing, a roof over your head, water, um, building a town or a village. Whatever it may be, man is to work. And there's also a sense of joy or pleasure with work especially from the fruit of it. Ecclesiastes 3:13. Every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Even when there's particularly hard work, maybe there's work you don't even want to do, but when you work hard and there's a clear benefit at the end, it makes it worth it. There's something pleasurable and satisfying at accomplishing a task. That's natural, and it's a gift of God. But work is difficult because of sin. In Genesis 3:17, "When man fell, sin tainted man and even tinted our work." Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it the days of all thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. Now labor or work itself is not cursed, but the effects around it are cursed. Professor John Murray comments on this verse. And he says, It should be noted that the curse is not the curse of labour. It is the pain and hardship connected with labour and the frustration that man will encounter by raising of the curse upon the ground. That's important. The work itself is not the curse It's the things around it that are the curse. And we know that. Pain and toil and sweat and injury. These all come with work and we don't like them. They're only here because of sin. And sin even affects us not merely to find work difficult, difficult, but we have sin in that we don't even want to work at times. We want the maximum thing possible with the least amount of effort. And some look at work and look at things you can get from work, want to discard the work and just take and steal without earning it or laboring for it. Yet despite all the sin that is attached The thing itself is natural and good. But the second thing to know about work is grace. Grace sanctifies nature. Grace sanctifies work. Once someone comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ... That which is given by nature is heightened in the individual's evaluation and the Christian loves to work and labour. Think about a thief. A thief doesn't want to do anything for work. He just wants to take without labouring. But then the gospel comes to that thief. He hears the gospel, he repents of his sin, he trusts in Christ for forgiveness and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit now comes. A new mind for new thinking, a new heart for new affections and a new will to do God's will. And in Ephesians chapter chapter 4, verse 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may give to him that needeth. That's what the gospel does. Or take someone who's lazy. Take someone who's a fool like Proverbs teaches. In all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to poverty. Or the sluggard will not plough by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. People who don't want to do hard work. They don't want to put their back into it. They don't want to give themselves. They don't want to deny themselves. There's no elbow grease in them. Then the gospel comes. New mind, new heart, new will. Now their life is transformed. They despise laziness. They despise minimum effort, maximum gain. They want to work hard and to labour. This gospel can transform an individual. I know from my experience, when I grew up, the people around me did anything but work hard. It was all about scamming the system. Minimum effort, maximum produce. When the gospel came into my life, then I understood the value of hard work. Take a family that's poor and struggling because the father is someone who does not work hard. He's not responsible. He doesn't do his duty. And the gospel transforms him. And you see the family becoming more stable, more established, even flourishing. It happens in communities and nations too. There's a reason why countries can be absolutely dirt poor and then the gospel comes and they flourish. Why is that? Because the gospel transforms and helps us to work hard. But the gospel gives us the key to this, the motive. Why should you work Think of the natural man. You work in order to live for the weekend. You work simply to pay your bills. You work to buy material things to waste. It's very, very superficial, very fleshly. But not the Christian. Colossians chapter three, verse twenty-three: "Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord." That word do then, the Greek means to work, to labour, to trade. So whatsoever you work, labour or trade, work, labour, trade it heartily to the Lord. All things for the glory of God. All things for the glory of God. And therefore, whenever I go to work, what's my key motive? Glorify God in my work. But grace also gives... Helps us to understand our calling in life. First Corinthians seven seventeen. As God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called everyone, so let him walk. In Roman Catholicism, it taught the church and nations vocation is only in that which is holy the priest, the monk. The nun. Then when the Reformation came in, they searched scripture and said, the divine call is in every area of life, whether it's marriage or children and also work. And so the reformers taught, God has given you gifts and talents and opportunities and providence and whatever that is for you, It's not generic, but the call of God. And so whether you're a cleaner, or whether you're a banker, whether you're a businessman, or whether you are a carpenter, if that's your calling, it's your calling from God. So you can take ownership in it. You can have a sense of responsibility and duty. So when times are hard, work is difficulty. There's hardships. Maybe the production is not as profitable. Maybe there are difficult situations. What keeps a Christian from simply giving up? Vocation. Calling. Responsibility. Duty. Also added to this is the work ethic. First, Second Thessalon, Thessalonians 3. Paul says, We did not eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travailed night and day. For when we were with you, this we commanded. If any would not work, neither should he eat. Since the gospel transformed, God gives us a call and the motive is to glorify God, we work hard. Max Weber was a famous German um, economist and he wrote a book entitled The Protestant Work Ethic. Why is it in Europe the richest countries are all Protestant and the poorer countries are Roman Catholic? He says it's because of the Protestant work ethic. It took poor, uneducated nations and transformed them with the principles we've already taught, and the people of whatever calling, whatever station in life, gave themselves to the glory of God. And so the richest countries in Europe were Britain, the Netherlands. Germany, Switzerland, Scandinavia. And the poorer countries were Portugal, France, Spain, Italy. Why? Because of a biblical Protestant work ethic. There's a reason why America's reputation as a workhorse is declining. It's because the gospel is departing. And as the gospel goes down, laziness goes up. There's a reason why a lot of people say, I employ migrants because I can't get Americans to do the menial jobs. And yet the migrants will do the job and work hard. Now they do it out of a sense of need. But in America and in my own country, when Eastern Europe joined the EU and therefore their had free access, people from Eastern Europe came and people complained. But yet when you do the working class jobs, the working class were no longer signing up like they used to. Why? Because too much of the working class became lazy and entitled. But yet the immigrant came in and were happy to do any job. But when a gospel is thriving in a country... Industry, hard work, uh, engineering, manufacturing, production, uh, quality of life. It rises for the gospel. And the last thing grace does is set the pattern. Fourth commandment. Six days thou shalt labour and do all thy work. And the seventh day is the Sabbath rest. And so grace says six days of the week. I will work and labour to the glory of God and then in the new covenant on the first day of the week we have our Christian Sabbath and we worship the God who calls us and blesses us in our work. Now thirdly, we've had nature, grace, now adornment. What are Christians to do with their work? We're to adorn it. Verse 10, so that They may adorn the doctrine of God, our Saviour, in all things. Adorn, we've looked at that word before. It's where we get the word cosmetic from. It means orderly and beautiful. Uh, You think of uh, a sister who wants to put makeup on, cosmetics. They don't just put it here, there, and everywhere. There's an order and uh, purpose to the application To make beautiful the doctrine of God our Saviour here is the gospel. So Christians are to make the gospel orderly and beautiful in all things. So everything we to do, we're to do it so that the gospel is orderly and beautiful in our lives. Parents to children, husbands to wives in the church, and in the workplace. Unbelievers should see Christians at work and they stand out. Something different about the Christian worker. Their behavior, their speech, their industry is different. And it's different because they are living out the gospel in the workplace. Psalm 90 verse 16 Let thy work appear unto thy servants and thy glory unto their children and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands. The saying is you find out if someone's really a Christian in the home and that's true because you could be a professing very moral outward Christian in church and in society and then completely opposite at home equally as true you can find out if someone's a real Christian by how they work whether in church and in the church community they're all proper and servants and thank you then you get them into the workplace, lazy, bullies, steal. So how you work reveals your Christianity. So let's apply all this together then. Do we understand that work is a gift of God? To labour is our natural calling And God is calling us through the word to particular callings so that we may work, labour and serve for the glory of God. Maybe some here have a complaining spirit about work. Or they don't really have a motivation to work hard. Well the Bible, God, the Lord Jesus Christ says you are made to work and the grace of the gospel helps you to enjoy your work and in your work you are to make the gospel orderly and beautiful in your labour and when we have that we are so different from the world, so different from the world. But how exactly then can we adorn the gospel in the workplace? Well, secondly, Christian service. In verses 9 to 10, the Apostle Paul gives us several ways in which the gospel is to be adorned in work. First of all, servants be obedient to their own masters. Now, this word obedient, is the exact same word of verse 5 where the young women are to be obedient to their own husbands. Same word. It means to be subject unto and to submit. The Christian understands the world is organised by order. An order includes authority, submission. Authority, submission. So you have parents. Mother, father, authority. Children, subjection, submission. You have husband and wife. Husband, head. The wife is the helper. Authority, submission. Younger and older. Younger. Are uh, to look to order and their status, and there's a certain authority and there's a certain submission. The world is to be organised by order. Now, this basic principle has been destroyed today because of individualism and feminism. How do you know if you think like a feminist or an individualist? When you think about the world, you start with the individual. I want to do what I want to do. I want to be what I want to be. I want to go where I want to go because I'm an individual. That's not biblical or Christian. Christians think order. And the order of the workplace is that bosses have authority. Workers are to obey. This begins by having an inward respect and an outward recognition of the authority of the boss. First Timothy 6.1 Let as many servants count their own masters worthy of all honour. There's a position of authority and of course there's a chain of command, we're including that. And they have a certain authority in the workplace. That's, of course, restricted and limited and stated. The first thing the Christian worker does is this. My boss, on whatever scale you are, your boss, you have an inward respect and an outward recognition. Boss, with authority, and my call is to submit and obey. This is part of the 5th commandment. Honour thy father and thy mother is applied in scripture not simply to the physical mother or father but to all positions of authority. This is why the larger catechism goes to the 5th commandment and gives plethora of expositions of superior and inferior. And I would recommend in your own time to read the larger catechism on superior and inferior. But let me just give you a sample. Question 124 Who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? Answer By father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, and especially by God's ordinance are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth. Think state or society. 127, what is the honour inferior's owe to their superiors? The honour which inferior's owe to their superiors is all due reverence in heart, word, and behaviour, prayer and thanksgiving for them, Imitation of their virtues and graces, willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels, due submission to their corrections, fidelity to, defence, and maintenance of their persons and authority according to their several ranks. Children, do you do that to your parents? Parents, do you do that to your parents? Workers, Do you do that for your bosses? That's what Paul's getting at here. Obedience means respect and honour. This means there must be sincere obedience. Ephesians 6, 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling In singleness of heart. If someone's outwardly obedient but inwardly disobedient, the Lord sees that and says, you did not obey your boss. Or children, when your parents command you to do something and outwardly you do it but inwardly you're complaining, God sees that and says, you're not obeying your parents. So true obedience is inward as well as outward. But this is not absolute obedience. This is not absolute obedience. It's obedience in the Lord. Acts chapter 4 verse 19. Paul and John are before superiors religious ecclesiastical and even in a way temporal authority. And they say, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God. No one should be commanding you to sin. And if they command you to sin, you disobey them. That's important in 2024. Someone's a teacher, or a nurse, or a doctor, or a policeman, or a professor, or whatever these kinds of jobs and you're seeking to have inward respect of your bosses, you're seeking to obey them sincerely, and they command you to do something sinful, you do not obey. Many Christians need to learn that because compromise is going to be the temptation of the day. And we have to be prepared to lose our jobs rather than sinfully obey and compromise the truth. But in lawful, right commands of a boss, we are to do it. Secondly, we are to please our bosses. And to please them well in all things. You are to please your boss... By pleasing the Lord through your service of the boss, I see that because Ephesians chapter six clarifies this, it says, "Servants, obey your masters, not with eye service, as men pleases, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will, doing service." As to the Lord and not to men. So seeking to please your boss as an end, man pleasing, is sinful. But you are to please the Lord through pleasing your boss. And you're not to have eye service. That is, sitting at my office desk, twiddling my thumbs playing games on the screen, and then the boss comes, oh, he's a good worker. Or, the boss commanded me or told me to do something, but he didn't specify a particular detail. Now, I know a particular detail pleases him, but he didn't technically state it. So I'm going to do half the job because he didn't explicitly state the thing I know that he wants done. That's sinning, an eye service. Or you only want to please the boss for a particular selfish reason: promotion, money, uh, a holiday. And so you do all you can to please your boss so that you can have these earthly things. All these examples are under the category of man-pleasing. And we're not to do that. But rather, the Lord's calling me, the Lord's watching me, and I want to please my Lord in all things, therefore I'll do the things that please My boss. So if I'm doing a task and he's not explicitly told me to do something, but I know that extra thing pleases him in the task, I'm going to actually do it because that's what he wants. And I'm going to please him by working hard all the time and not be lazy and not be distracted and not wasting whatever work I have, and just working when he can see me, but at all times, during the hours he's given me, the the tasks he's given me, I'm going to do it wholeheartedly to please my Lord and doing it by pleasing him. Which means I'm going to do my very best at work every day, even when I don't feel like it. Because I'm going to do it for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a transforming principle. I think we all find these things difficult, do we not? So many sins within the heart. That's where we need to truly be convicted. There's no transformation without conviction. And so if we're truly convicted by these things, we should be confessing them as sin to God for full forgiveness in Christ and asking for more and more grace to do that which is pleasing in his sight. Thirdly, not answering back. This word means not to contradict, not to argue, not to debate. Sadly, I think we all know what this means. (laughs) Either it's someone who before the boss is always contradicting to the face, always arguing, always giving another position, always against him. Or when the boss's back is turned and no, he cannot see and you mumble and complain and backbite to your fellow workers. Either way, this dishonours the gospel of God. But as Christians, we don't just season our speech with salt, we don't just let no corrupt communication come out of our mouth and speak that which edifies in Christian circles. These principles apply in the workplace. Proverbs 15 2. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. So when we speak to our bosses and about our bosses, we respect them, we defend them, we protect them, and we do what is right. This does not... This does not disclude rightful speaking to the boss, suggesting other ways to do certain things. This does not discount if a boss is saying things that are not right morally or they're bullying or that you don't respectfully say stop. But it does disclude... Sinful. Arguing. Complaining. And grumbling. The fourth and final is. Not purloining. This is pilfering. This is in the Greek. um, Gathering things. It's taking things on the side. Stealing. It's having access to things in the workplace and you have no authority or permission and you take it home. This says there's a petty cash box and no one's going to notice and at the end of the day, it's not really going to affect the company, but taking from the petty cash box. Or it could be not a material thing, but tying pilfering time. Where you are using time, where you are contracted and paid to do things you do not have permission and do not have authority. Where that's games and chatting away or doing other things that you should not be doing. And all these things is conclu- included in the purloining. This is a great, sin people make excuses well it's just a little thing it's not going to affect anyone doesn't matter it's stealing it's not like I'm going to a store and actually stealing something not only is it in the workplace I actually use it all the time still not yours Any form of stealing or taking on the side or just taking a bit back is stealing and wrong. We need to be convicted of that. If you read those sections in the New Testament says shall not inherit the kingdom of God, stealing is one of them. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Thieves shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That means unrepentant sinners who are not killing their sin and transforming their lives, will go to hell if they are stealing. But here Paul says rather good fidelity, faithfulness. Jesus Christ himself says in Luke chapter 16, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful in much. So if you're stealing just a little, insignificant, tiny thing in work, you're untrustworthy for everything. You're an untrustworthy, undependable man or woman because if you're faithless in little, you're going to be faithless in much. But the Christian says, no, no, not me, not me. I'm going to glorify my Lord Jesus Christ and always be honest and faithful and trustworthy. And even if I have a bad boss, I am not going to make excuses. I'm going to be like Jacob. Genesis chapter 31. This 20 years I have been with thee. Thy ewes and thy she goats have I not cast their young. And the rams of thy flock have I not eaten. That which was torn of beasts I bought not unto thee. I bear the loss of it myself. My hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. No matter what Laban put before him, no matter how unworthy Laban was, I was not going to steal. I wasn't saying, well, Laban put me all night in the freezing cold and I was starving and he did not even give me anything to eat. Therefore, I'll kill one of Laban's animals to eat. I would not even do that. And that's the Christian. Trustworthy, faithful, dependable. One of the blessed things of living in Grand Rapids was that we had so many foreign students. And people from China and Egypt and other places would speak to us of how Christians are treated in their lands, and it's it's grey, not just black and white. Whereas technically, in certain areas of the Muslim world or uh, in communist China, uh, if you were a real Christian, you're getting persecuted. But also true is certain jobs were specifically look for Christians for employment. I remember brother telling me that in Muslim banks, where generally they would discriminate against Christians to employ Muslims, often banks would purposely employ the Christians because of corruption and pilfering. And they just knew, even though they hated Christians, Christians don't steal. And also some brethren from China said the same thing, even in government positions in terms of Um, running things, even though they want to arrest Christians and they don't want Christians to publicly flourish, they know you employ real Christians, they're not taking bribes. They refuse money under the counter. And so these brethren in these countries, they're adorning the doctrine of God in their work. And so we in Westminster Presbyterian Church and all Christians in America we are to adorn the gospel in our workplace. And how we work will be judged on judgment day. And when we, by faith in Christ, are working hard, laboring for the glory of God, pleasing him, being faithful and trustworthy, obedient, respectful, God is going to be utterly pleased with his people. And all around us, people are going to look at us and say, that's a Christian. That's a Christian. And they're going to be attracted to Christian. They might hate Christianity and all these things in the news and all these morals and all these all these But you know what? I know Johnny. I know Jane. I disagree with what they say, but I respect them. And maybe that can just open them up to a Bible, to a tract, to a conversation, (laughs) to an invite to a church. Because God is glorified and he honours them who honours him. And as you adorn the gospel and work, you'll be amazed what a wonderful witness you are. So as we work, let us all adorn it with the gospel of Jesus Christ let us pray father in heaven we are thankful that we are called to work and to labor we confess that within us there are many sins concerning this but we pray thy grace would transform us and that we would adorn the gospel even in the workplace help us to work not in man pleasing but pleasing the Lord in all things. Lord, season our salt and help us to be a true witness to others around us, to the glory of God the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us conclude and praise our God in Psalm 128. Psalm 128. The tune is Tiverton. True number 139. Blessed is each one that fears the Lord and walketh in his ways. For of thy labour thou shalt eat and happy be always. If you want to be happy, labour in the Lord. Standing if we're able, praising our God.